our gospel lesson for today, Baptism of Our Lord Sunday, is found in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I mentioned a moment ago that today is baptism of our Lord Sunday. The first Sunday of the season of Epiphany, which we are in now, is always baptism of our Lord. Now, Epiphany always happens on January 6th. It is the 13th day after Christmas. You know, we have the 12 days of Christmas, and then we have the day of Epiphany. Now, on the day of Epiphany, that is when we celebrate and focus in on the visit of the Magi, when the wise men came and visited Jesus as a baby. It's a wonderful thing, but it always falls on the same day of the calendar. And that always immediately follows the 12 days of Christmas, the season of Christmas. So folks, clearly we're past Christmas. You can see the Advent candles, the Advent wreath is no longer here with me. We've moved away from that now and we're past this. But before we abandon Christmas entirely, I wanna revisit one thing. The Christmas story, I mean, blame the day job. It's one of my favorites. It's one that I really love, and it's one of the things that I love to teach about more than any other. The Christmas story, in fact, in the the year of confirmation here in the congregation, when we're looking at the biblical narrative, that's my favorite lesson to do every single time. And some of you sitting out there, some of you are are the the kids that are in class with me right now, will be getting to that in not too much more longer. And some of you others that are sitting out there have actually sat in on those classes before. And one of the things that I tend to do whenever we encounter this is I always ask people, you know the Christmas story, let's talk our way through it. do you remember about it? And inevitably, every single time, someone will say, oh, and Mary was riding the donkey as they went to Bethlehem, which I love and I always laugh at. And some of you know where I'm going with this, because if we read the Christmas story, which of course is found in Luke's gospel, nowhere does it actually say that there is a donkey. And yet we always think in our minds, it's part of the story that we've just come to accept, even if the scripture itself doesn't say it. Now, I bring that up because I need to point out my own tendency to do this exact same thing. Earlier this week, if you happen to catch the, uh, the live stream that I did on Facebook middle of the week, I talked about this gospel passage and this story about John the Baptist and his ministry out in the wilderness, the ministry that would then lead to the baptism of Jesus and then transfer into Jesus, his own ministry, his life and his death and his resurrection, all of that. I spoke about this and I quoted a part as being a part of this gospel and folks, I was wrong. 
If you happen to see that, I was talking about the common thing that we think about with John the Baptist when he's out splashing water around in the Jordan and he's, he's proclaiming this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then he looks out and he sees some of those biblical bad guys that we like to call them sometimes. And he says, you brood of vipers. He really calls them out. But what's interesting about that, if you recall from when I read the story here in Mark just a moment ago, that doesn't show up, does it? I did a thing that we call harmonization. When we consider the same story in the different gospels and in our minds, we kind of mash them all together. Now we do know that in some of the other gospels, John does exactly that. He sees some of these individuals and he thinks of them as hypocrites. And so he calls them out, you brood of vipers who warned you about the wrath to come. But here in Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel, which is shorter, Mark's gospel, which is more condensed, which oftentimes, more often than not, features less detail than in some of the other gospels, he doesn't actually say that. And yet, it's a part of the story, whether it's present here in Mark's gospel or not. And that's the idea that I'm really kind of grabbing a hold of today. This, this impassioned message that John has this ministry of baptism for the repentance of sins, or the, I, let me start that over, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, typically when we think of John, we think brood of vipers, repent, 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 repent. And that's important. That's accurate. And it's good to think about, well, what does repent mean? It's one of those fancy words that we throw around in church. What does it really mean? Well, we've talked about this before. The literal meaning of repent is simply to turn away from something. If there's something here, you repent you turn away from it. Now, when we think about it in the, the, the concept of sin, which of course is what John is talking about, we're turning away from that which is sinful. Well, and that's the big question. What does that mean? We all have our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own definition of what sin means. But when I think about sin, the, the way I kind of boil it down is sin is the damage or, 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 or action or attitude or whatever, something that happens that damages or breaks relationships. In the confirmation class, just a, a few weeks back, right before Christmas, we actually encountered the time when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites. This is another thing that I've talked about before in, in sermons and, and just in, in different situations, that the Ten Commandments were a guide for how to live in harmony with one another and with God. And when something happens that breaks one of those commandments, it damages that relationship. It hinders that relationship. It breaks down the relationship. And so in that idea, I think it's possible for us to sin against one another in our interactions with one another just as easily as it is to sin against God and hinder that relationship. It's a part of the brokenness that we all experience, a brokenness that we all are a part of. That's a part of all of us, I should say. That's a better way of saying it. And that's what John is calling out. Repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as we think about this idea of sin and broken relationship, that I believe draws us into the second part of our story. Because of course today, the focal point is the baptism of Jesus as we hear about. John's out doing his ministry thing. Maybe he's calling people brood of vipers. Maybe not, depending on which one you're reading. But then Jesus shows up. 
and the baptism happens. Now, as we also hear about in some of the other gospels and some of the larger story, John objects because he recognizes that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one coming after me is greater than I am. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And, he, and we, we also hear, hey, Jesus, you should baptize me. But Jesus is like, no, this is good. Let's do this. And so Jesus is baptized. And in that moment, in the baptism of Jesus, we have the heavens ripped open. We hear about that. The, the Holy Spirit takes the form of a dove, descends upon Jesus, and we also have the great booming voice of, 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 of the divine, of, of the creator, of God the Father, whichever term or name we want to give to God. We have the, the voice of God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and of course we have Jesus, the Son. We have all three members of the Holy Trinity are present in this moment. It's one of very few times when all three members of the Holy Trinity, one God, three persons, they're all on display. And I think that's important for us to recognize today. Because in the presence of the, 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 the Trinity, we find that we have a God that exists in relationship. Now, I don't know how it works. I've often tried, tried to wrap my own head around this and explain it to other people. Well, what does one God and three persons mean? And I can't exactly explain it. I can't really come up with a good analogy for it other than it seems that God somehow exists in relationship with one another in God's own being. We found that from the very beginning. And what else happens at the beginning that it's important for us to remember today is that same God made us bearing the divine image. And I believe that means that we too exist needing relationship. We need the relationship with one another. We need the relationship with God. And this is all connected with this idea of sin and brokenness and damage that happens to those relationships. Now, in the midst of all this, let's remember that, that aspect that I brought up at the beginning and the missing thing from this one, you brood of vipers. When I think about that story, I kind of chuckle or that, that moment, that aspect. I, I start to chuckle thinking about, man, how must of those guys who John was calling out, how must have they felt? They must have felt really sheepish, right? Oh, man, he called us out. But I got to thinking about it more and more and more. And I've thought about the fact, and you know, even in this, in this message already, I, I called them the biblical bad guys. And honestly, that's a mistake for us to do. Because I tend to think, I think it's important for us to think or remember that those individuals were doing the best that they could, given their circumstances, given their understanding, given their tradition, given their, their expression of faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were doing the best that they could given their circumstances. And maybe they didn't, maybe they, they thought of themselves as sinful. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I can't speak for them. We don't know exactly who they are other than this random label that is given to them. But like most people, I'm sure they thought in the back of their heads, maybe they were the heroes of their own story, just doing the best that they could. And then John calls them out. You brood of vipers. But you know what? Don't we share in that? Aren't we all the heroes of our own story when we really boil it down? We're all doing the best that we can given the circumstances. We know we're not perfect. We know we don't do everything 100% correctly. We know that we hurt other people. We know that we fail God. That's part of the brokenness that we all experience. And so maybe when John says, you brood of vipers, he's talking to all of us. We're all a part of that. Because you know what? 
the universal nature of this whole thing is that none of us are perfect. The scriptures show us that over and over and over and over. And yet, the other thing that the scriptures show us is that God calls and uses and claims and loves imperfect people. John tells us the one that is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The baptism that Jesus will do will somehow be different. And folks, it is. But the amazing thing about all of this is that it is the same baptism that we also participate in. This this claim, this action in which the Holy Spirit resides upon us and it brings us into this community is an action that unites us together with all fellow followers of Christ. It unites us with all of those who have been claimed by God. And here's the big thing. Here's the important thing that we remember and that we must cling to when we remember that we are all broken, flawed people. We also remember that God so loved the world. We're all broken and flawed people, and yet God loves us anyway. God makes a statement in this baptism of Jesus that I think is important. This is my beloved son, the one with whom I am well pleased. God the Father, God the Creator, the Divine, whatever we want to say, is claiming publicly this individual of Jesus, cementing that relationship. But the same promise, or the same claim that is made upon Jesus is also made upon us. The claim of God is upon the ones whom God loves and favors. You are my beloved child. I claim you. This is a truth that we come back to time after time after time. In fact, I just had a funeral this week, and we hinted at that. We talked about that in that funeral, that there is a claim of God upon the individual. You are my beloved child, and that is a claim that nothing overcomes, not even death. Not our brokenness, not death, not pain. Nothing overcomes this claim of God upon those whom God loves and favors and claims. And here's the big point. We talked briefly about the beginning and how we're made bearing the divine image. Well, our existence begins from a place of God's love and delight and joy. That claim of God is upon that which God takes delight in, and folks, that includes you. Every single one of us share in this same distinction of being created, bearing the divine image and being created from a place of God's delight. And yes, the brokenness is a part of us, but that doesn't happen until chapter three. Our existence begins from a place of God's delight and God's claim is upon us. And so may we live our lives in a way that reflects that. Today we hear about the baptism of Jesus, but folks, it's a baptism that we share. And we join with Christ in a baptism like his. We know ultimately one day we will join with him in a death like his, but the promise remains that we will also join with him in a resurrection like his, made possible through the action of God through Jesus. Now, I don't know how it works. It's above my pay grade. But they do tell me to talk about it. So that's what I do, and that's what we're doing here. And may you do the same. May you live your lives in a way that reflects this promise, this freedom that we have, this freedom not from things, but freedom for things. We are freed to proclaim this to the whole world, to share this good news with the whole world, freed to live our lives in a way that reflects it. John tells us, I have come to baptize you 
into repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when we turn from that which is broken and harmful and hinders the relationships that we have with one another and with God, we turn back to that which is good and that which is freely given. And that's the forgiveness that was somehow made possible and was completed through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is what we proclaim. That is the baptism in which we share. That is the good news that is for all people.